Welcome to the 72nd episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. I'm your host, Chris Blessing. We're getting a bit of a late start on this week's podcast. I got home Monday night from a trip out west to Salt Lake City for an international assessors conference. Sounds like an exciting time. It really was. Uh, and then I went up to Idaho, Montana, Wyoming with my wife to enjoy the outdoors, the gorgeous scenery. So uh, I am extremely unplugged from baseball right now. Probably the most I've been unplugged in season uh, for probably about 10 years. Uh, it's been crazy. The only only thing I saw in Salt Lake City was uh, Ronald Acuna being accosted by a few fans in Colorado. So thankfully, I booked a guest before my trip who is plugged into some prospects that I haven't been fortunate enough to see because they're in organizations that don't have any affiliates near my home. Uh, this week's guest is a returning guest. I think this might be his fourth time on the show total. Uh, baseball HQ subscribers, baseball forecaster, and minor league baseball analyst readers know him well. He and I were the associate editors last year, assisting Brent for uh, the minor league baseball analysts. And uh, I assume we're doing it again. Uh, you know, it doesn't really change. Good things don't change usually at Baseball HQ. So uh, we'll, we'll probably be at that again. So anyway, please welcome Jeremy Deloney to the show. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. <clears throat> Good to be here. I'm excited because, uh, you know, we're going to get to it a little later. We've got some really big catching prospects, one, two, three, on, on our docket today. And it's some guys that are are you know, relatively unheard of uh, in the second segment of the show, but all prospects that that our listeners really kind of need to know about, because uh, a lot of those guys end up popping the next year outside of uh, high A. So, um, Jeremy, can you remind our listeners of your coverage area and, and also include the 10 teams that you write up for the minor league baseball analysts and the organizational reports that we do in the offseason at the website? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I, I think living here in Michigan, you know, the Midwest League, clearly a lot of affiliates around this area. You know, there's, uh, you know, a couple teams in Michigan, three teams in Michigan. We've got, you know, outskirts in Ohio, uh, Indiana, Illinois. So I'm able to see a number of different games in the Midwest League. And of course, there's others. Uh, you know, sometimes the Eastern League, you got Akron, you got Erie that are within driving distance. And of course, I travel for work quite a bit myself. So it's always good to go out and in the Midwest, see a, a number of different ball games, different affiliates, different leagues, different levels. So a good diverse mix of affiliates. And in terms of the, the, the organizations that I cover for the minor league baseball analysts, I've got 10 this year, which I'm excited about. I think last year I had nine. Uh, but I've got Boston, Cleveland, uh, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Oakland, Pittsburgh, uh, uh, Seattle, San Diego, Toronto, and San Francisco. So a mix of AL and NL, all kinds of different divisions. So a lot of good coverage there. Looking forward to uh, this year's edition for sure. Yeah, you're taking over the Guardians for me. I uh, 
have had the Guardians, I think the last three years. Uh, it's just that the, the uh, my my source of stuff has just run out for that team. Uh, just not able to see them. I used to go up to uh, uh, Bowling Green uh, when they were in the Midwest League to see uh, Lake County when they came down. And and now, you know, with all the changes in the minor leagues, I, I don't get to see any Guardians prospects. So I'm, I'm happy to push that over to you, uh, uh, just being able to yeah, see guys. Got, you in, know. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Chris. I know with, uh, they've got three affiliates somewhat near me with Lake County and the Midwest League at High A. They've got Akron, uh, the Rubber Ducks in, in downtown Akron, and then uh, the Columbus Clippers in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So, uh, plus it seems like everyone I know, um, I used to live in Ohio for many years, and everyone I know is either a Reds fan or a, a Guardians fan so there's, there's a lot of people that uh, like to talk guardians baseball unfortunately i'm not a Guardians fan myself but. well i mean the guardians are a great organization and i say that by somebody who's uh if you look at my linkedin page you can kind of figure out why i i say the guardians are a great uh organization however um of your organizations who would you say is the easiest one to write up and why well this is going to be i guess somewhat self but I'm a, a diehard Twins fan, so it's easy for me to, to cover that organization just because I, I know, know it quite well and know a lot of sources within that organization as well. So they're fairly easy. Really, any any organization that has a, a Midwest League affiliate um, is, is fairly easy. I found over the years I've done a lot of, um, when it comes to the minor league baseball analyst, San Francisco is another one. Um, you know. So they, they like to use their minor league system. So a lot of those guys that I've, I've covered and uh, so that's pretty nice. So yeah, the, I'd say the twins and the giants and, and when Toronto used to have a Midwest league affiliate, I was actually angry when they moved out of there and Oakland moved in to Lansing. Oh. Uh, so I know, I know quite well, you know, Toronto and, and their inner workings and a lot of their prospects. So those I'd say would be the three easiest with the twins being the easiest of all of them. And 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 that's an interesting point right there. When when we all lost the organizations in our various leagues, uh, I lost two teams in the Southern League. Uh, the South Atlantic League basically got chopped up. That I barely see some of the North the uh, uh, North teams. I still like I still retained uh, Mets coverage, for instance, uh, because of the same thing being well sourced still there and being able to you know get information at any really given time. Uh, for you know, guys that either contacts that cover the organization or, or within the organization, uh, and you know, I always thought that was the easiest until uh, Chattanooga um, became a Reds affiliate again. Uh, the Reds organization, uh, you know, just seeing on different levels, I, I I've been able to see that how their inner workings work. And it's very easy. That's probably my easiest organization. So an organization that you have Dayton in your in your coverage area, and I only have Chattanooga, but you know Daytona has been a great place to get good content out of for the last couple of years. So like it's been a very easy org for me. Uh, so speaking of easy orgs, which org is your hardest to cover of the of the ten that you have? Well, I, I'd say. Um, probably Milwaukee, just because they're, 
I mean, obviously, they've improved their farm system. Actually, I was surprised that Baseball America really bumped them up towards their top. Uh, I guess I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but over the years, I mean, trying to find a pitching prospect in that organization is really, really difficult. <laughs> uh, I think for last year's minor league baseball analysts, I don't know if I had five or six pitchers in that entire organization in the book, and I didn't really feel good about any of them. Uh, starting <laughs> to turn around, you know, they've got a heck of a lot more position players, and obviously you see a lot of on the major league roster now. Um, I still like Garrett Mitchell a lot, but they're a little bit more difficult. Uh, I don't know as many sources uh, to get information from uh, with Milwaukee, um, but I like that organization. They do a heck of a job. But um, again, the limited pitching prospects and things are starting to turn a little bit. Um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, Oakland can sometimes be difficult. They seem to have like a lot of like pretty good prospects. Um, <laughs> but nothing great, little, right? Yeah, it's I, again. I, I I've never been a big fan of of their baseball team, um, but it's been fun to cover them. But it's it's challenging because again, they just they have a lot of guys, and it's almost like that proverbial you know throw whatever sticks against the wall type of uh, philosophy. But they've got uh, again in Lansing, they've got some guys that that I like, and they've had guys over the last couple of years. I remember coming on your podcast and talking about Soderstrom and Max Muncy and a few other guys. Denzel Clark is a guy I'm really, really high on just because he's a phenomenal athlete. Um, but yeah, there's just similar to, to Milwaukee. They, they don't have a lot of pitching prospects and you would think mm -hmm. drafting as high as they have, they'd have a little bit more. And the pitchers that they've acquired have all kind of cracked the bed. Um, you know, the JT Gaines, the uh, Ryan Cusick's, uh, those those type of prospects, none of them seem to work out. Kyler, Kyle Muller, their opening day starter this year, which was kind of funny because um, <laughs> I never saw that uh, covering him for so many years. Uh, with the Braves organization, but like that's a, that's a difficult. Both of those organizations are very difficult to cover uh, for various reasons. Uh, I, I've had coverage of Biloxi and Nashville for the Brewers, and it seems like every pitcher is an over-the-top thrower who has, I don't know, solid control but no command within the zone, uh, and it's always frustrating uh, to try to gauge what's what's for real and what's for not in that organization because they're just so weird and then in the major leagues two or three years later those guys pop somehow um i i don't know about the brewers i i i'm glad i don't have that coverage so uh you know you you get your brewers and i get my angels okay. and white socks too the white socks are are yeah that's uh, White Sox are probably the worst of mine. The Angels at least uh, have pitchers. Um, yeah. the White Sox, after like four prospects, it's just throwing things against the wall and seeing if they stick. Yep. Um, well, anyway, um, one of the new features at our site this year, uh, which just went, you know, it's been winding down uh, our minor league coverage this year, is the inflation deflation report. And we had Rob Gordon on a few episodes ago. Uh, we didn't ask him about this. We really kind of covered uh, his College World Series trip. Uh, 
since it made me very jealous that he got to go. And that's one of my bucket list things. So um, I'm going to ask you what I was originally going to ask him. And what has been your overall takeaway from this season of prospect coverage contributing to this list uh, that's basically highlighting hot streaks and cold streaks? Uh, what have you seen? Yeah, well, I've, I've really enjoyed doing a column for one because I think it really uh, a lot of times we as baseball fans focus on the season stats and not necessarily, hey, how they've been doing over the last you know 15 days, 30 days, two months whatever and I think writing this column with with Rob has been a good experience because again it's made my mind shift away from the season statistics and focus on those shorter time frames to determine who is playing well and who is maybe regressing a little bit so it's been good for me to pick out a couple of prospects every other week where it's you know hey maybe overall they don't look like they're doing that well on paper but deep down and and talking to other people looking at other sources and saying hey there's a reason for this player to be turning their season around or maybe this uh, player is regressing a little bit whether it's an injury or just some other fundamental flaw that they have so overall on the season though I, i'd say it, it, it has been uh somewhat challenging to write at times because the season overall and i think we've discussed this a little bit throughout the season at hq and through uh, you know how we correspond with another it, it's a pretty mediocre crop of prospects this year. <laughs> it was really difficult to put together the the midseason top 50. I, I peruse other top 100 lists or top 50 lists, and I mean, outside of maybe the top five, top six, it's it's a crapshoot. You know, what one person may rank is, is number 10. I may not even have ranked at all. I may have someone number 10, and the next person may not have ranked at all. So it, it's it's a bizarre season, um, but I've really enjoyed writing that column. It's It's been great, plus a lot of the player movement I think we've been able to capture. Um, so it's been nice to kind of keep track of who's moving where. Are they going up? Are they going down? Who's injured? It's been a... It, it's been a fun season, but a challenging season, too, because I think we've all expected, you know, usually when we put together the HQ 100, we all come up with the same 75 names or so and then the other 25 or, you know, give or take, uh, it's going to be challenging in the off season to, to rank a hundred prospects. That's for sure. I, I, so. I've been keeping a, I've been keeping a 150, 200 list going. And, uh, at some point, I don't know, maybe mid July, I just gave up. I just, I couldn't do it. I, I wanted those, those guys from the draft to get, into the rankings i thought that was really important and then i really didn't want to rank them i wanted to kind of wait until the off season do all of our work uh the collective work of the prospect team and start reading the reports not just our own internal reports that end up in the book and on our website but also other people's reports too like i i don't I, I, when I'm writing my orgs, I'm always concentrated on, you know, my sources, my own eyes, that sort of thing. But when it comes to a top 100 list, I'm not necessarily concerned about how, you know, so-and-so site, whether it's our friend James Anderson over at uh, Roto-Wire or, or the folks at Baseball America, you, uh, you know, I, 
I don't care where they're ranked, but I'd like to use their opinion to see if anything's different. And going over those sites right now, after writing up some guys, like I just wrote up uh, uh, Jason Churio for the website, uh, Guardians prospect, brother of a Brewers prospect, Jackson Churio, who everybody should know by now. If you've listened to this uh, show or followed prospects uh, the last two years, Um, but like, you know, just seeing the almost diverse, uh, divisive opinions about Jason Chorio, who's just six games out of the complex, has been has been kind of different than other years. It's it's very odd. I think that uh, I think that you have a leg up doing that inflation deflation report every week or every other week than someone even like like me that's watching video all the time, but still. Uh, you know, misses stuff because they're not as plugged into the day-to-day uh, activity in the big leagues or in the in the, in the yeah. minor leagues. No, and that's true. It, it's just it's hard to to rank prospects. I would think if we were to rank in our own personal list too, like okay, put together a list of the top fifty players in major league right now, that'd be hard to do. You know, it would be. What, how would we how would we do that? And quite frankly, if if I were to put together a top 50 list right now, it would probably be different tomorrow and the next day and the next day. <laughs> so it's it's a really hard exercise. I, I, I know people can appreciate how difficult that is. I remember the, actually the first time that Rob and I uh, took on the book from um, uh, from Derek and. Um, I had a couple of readers on my Facebook send me messages, just scathing criticism of, I don't know what I'm doing. I think one of them was Shelby Miller. I ranked too low and it was like, I ranked him like 32. Is that low? <laughs> Is there really a difference between 20 and 32? I think not, but this, this off season, it's going to be really difficult. I should probably get started on it pretty soon. <laughs> it take a while. I told my wife that I'm not going to do any off-season stuff and uh, list making until uh, the minor league season's over. So I, I'll, I, but I will probably start that very next day uh, because it's it's going to be a task this year, even within organizations, even within the organizations that we know really well. Um, you know, I, I was uh, kind of just gazing over the Reds, um, the the guys that I have outlined right now to cover for the book and. You know, seeing some guys not being covered that I'm like, all right, maybe they need to be in there because I could consider them for the top 15. There's in that organization, there's a, I think, a pretty clear top 10 prospects. And then there's about 30 guys that could fill in the rest of the that work because and that that's a better org right now compared to some of the other ones, too. So, like, uh you know, it's it's going to be difficult, especially in, you know, the harder orgs like your Brewers and maybe my White Sox to, to really be able to rank out to, you know, 15 guys for our um, for our organizational list at the site. Um, well, yeah. well, luckily, the Brewers will be easier this year. But, yeah, the, the, the White Sox, the Angels. Uh... <laughs> I mean, the Angels um, traded a lot of guys, at least the White Sox got guys in return. And all of them are at Double A, and next week they're all in town. So it's going to be a it's going to be a good week. I won't be at the ballpark a lot in the last week of the Double A season, but 
at least I'm going to see yeah. all these guys that they just uh, acquired plus uh, Colson Montgomery. So, like that, that's not going to be as troublesome as the Angels this year. Thank God. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I think this is a, to to segue over to our prospect coverage this week. The prospects from the field um, segment of the show. We're going to start with an uh, LA prospect, but not a Los Angeles Angels prospect, but a Los Angeles Dodgers prospect. Uh, catching prospect that uh, Brent got to see at the Futures game and remarked about uh, how impressive of a batting practice that this prospect put on, despite, you know, coming into it, not thinking that he'd have the, you know, be one of the headliners at uh, during batting practice at the Futures game, which is the main event of the Futures game, really, even though it's not televised. Um but it's Dalton rushing uh, the Dodgers. Was it first round pick from last season? He was a second rounder. Out second of rounder. Yeah. Yes, he was from the University of Louisville. Um, so you you got to see him um, play for Great Lakes this year. Uh, what were some of your thoughts uh, when you uh, saw him? Yeah, again, it's just the, the typical caveats apply. It's always tough to draw meaningful conclusions based upon you know seeing one time but you can always tell you know uh, baseball players are good athletes have good swing mechanics just good motions good good rhythm at, at whatever they do and and I'll be the first to say I'm not the best scout um and I obviously not a scout but it's always tough for me to, to you know assess defensive catching um as hitters, well, I think let, it's me, let me easy. let me stop you. Let me stop you there, Jeremy. Like literally, don't, you're 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 fine as an evaluator. I have scouts talk to me, like guys that have been scouting for five, ten years that don't understand, like still struggle. Will admit to will admit to me, won't admit to their clubs, obviously, but still struggle scouting defense for catching. Like it's just hard. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah, and I think it's one of those. Uh, and I know we're going to talk about a few other catchers as well. It's it, it's almost like when people talk about officiating in basketball, football, whatever, that you know a good one when you don't really notice them as part of the game. And I think that's uh-huh. the way to look at catchers too, is if they're not making mistakes, if they're not, you know, uh, throwing balls away, if they're all kinds of pass balls. Uh, but most of the time, most of the catchers are you know catching the ball all and, and leading and calling pitches and doing whatever they need to do um but you know like pop times and you know how does that look when they throw runners out at second base it, it's just tough to gauge unless you've got again those you know stopwatches or the radar guns and see exactly how that works but mm-hmm. um but as a hitter though rushing i think has got really good swing mechanics the thing uh, when i when i saw him i mean he he is very selective at the pl- Late, but I guess I'm always up maybe that old school. I'd like to see him swing the bat a little bit more. I think he's a bit too passive. I mean, you look at his season line, he obviously draws a lot of walks, but he's got a lot of swing and miss in his game. Uh, low batting average this year, but he's got good swing mechanics. And I think when he does swing, it looks a bit defensive at times. Like he's just trying to foul off balls to, to get something that he can drive. Nothing wrong with that because it's again high A ball. It's where you want to test it out. I would like to see him be a little bit more aggressive though. But it, it's a really nice swing from the left side. Good, powerful frame. I think he's going to eventually hit 
20, 25 home runs, draw a lot of walks. So he's going to be a, a power and on base guy. Yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm watching some clips right now. I, you know, from the from the stats that I have, you're right. He's patient. He's probably, and and you're right. He's probably too patient. Uh, less than forty percent swing rate, uh, uh, which, like in this division, I always find that the hardest thing to scout uh, for a hitter, whether there's uh, whether it's real patience or just uh, a guy that's too selective. Um, like there was, there's the a difference when I watched Brandon Nimmo compared to, uh, I can't think of anybody offhand, but like Brandon Nimmo, you could, oh, Dominic Smith, we'll go with two Mets prospects that were together at the time. Brandon Nimmo was obvious that he was a tactician of the, uh, of the zone. Uh, Dominic Smith was just a guy that, um, didn't want to swing. The, the, those were literally the two differences there. Uh, I find that the hardest thing. How about you? Do you find that very hard to uh, figure out what's real and not with with patience? I absolutely agree. Because, again, I'm not anti on-base percentage. I'm not anti-plate discipline. I think plate discipline is an overused uh, term. I think selectivity is is better. Because I'll throw another former prospect at you, Derek Barton. That was one guy that it was like swing the bat. It's a perfect pitch for you to hit. I know you're trying to get on base. You don't want to make an out. I get it. But at some point, you got to swing the bat. Um, so I think there is a, a, a dramatic difference between being, um, you know, uh, passive and being aggressive within the zone. You find a pitch to hit, you should be swinging the bat. So... Um, I, I like your comparison. Nimmo, I completely agree. He's got complete, I think Stephen Kwan for the Guardians is similar. Um, just a, a complete mastery of, of the strike zone and uh, two strikes. He's going to foul something off and get something else he likes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and we, you know, to go back on several episodes and, and actually at the beginning of the year, uh, I really kind of... Uh, prior to the season, really talked a lot about Emmanuel Rodriguez from the Twins uh, prospect that I know you're familiar with and stuff. Uh, I think that what really made him a stud last year was was that automated strike zone in the Florida State League. Uh, so now things have now new elements have come into to play too. this automated zone where I had Twins folks telling me that they weren't even sure whether he was patient or just was afraid he was going to swing and miss like uh like those sort of things in it now bringing automation and hopefully automation doesn't come to the big leagues and except for like maybe the um challenge system i like that but uh like it, it really inflated rodriguez who's a good prospect don't get me wrong but it really inflated his value last year when he had a 493 on base percentage in that in, in the florida state league with with uh strike zone automation yeah he's another guy actually i think that falls into what i feel about uh, rushing is swing the bat um yeah. i think again um in the lower levels of the minors you know low a high a the pitching isn't as good. The command isn't nearly as good. So you're not going to have as many hittable pitches um, as you are in the upper minors. Pitchers have much better command, double A, triple A, obviously the majors. So in the lower minor, you're not getting uh, really that good pitching. 
Um, so I think a high number of walks or a high OBP in the lower minors doesn't mean nearly as much, at least to me. I'd love to see, I guess, a statistical analysis of that. Um, but a high OBP in low A or high A just to me is, isn't necessarily indicative of someone who has a strong batting eye or great pitch selection. It could be the exact opposite. They're just being too passive. I think yeah. when you watch a lot of games, you can tell the difference between those two. Yeah, and, and I think I think that's where Rodriguez was. I think that rushing, you know, looking at some of these swings, I, I went from I started looking at clips of his home runs because those are always the sexiest thing to look at first. Uh, hit some big home runs off some big name pitchers this year, uh, so that's always good to see. I always like to see, uh, you know, top prospects like rushing succeed against other top prospects because uh, you do see a lot of crap uh, pitching down in the low minors, uh, whether it's high A, low A, or in the complex league. Heck, even double A uh, is, is a lot of crap pitching uh, this uh, these days. Um, I, I think the thing that really has, you know, maybe alerted me in, in your little valuation is these defensive swings. Uh, like, it, it's you, the passiveness, like, is almost too much here. Uh, like literally waiting to the last second on a two strike pitch of a, of a meatball down the plate. Um, just, you know, maybe he's looking location or maybe he's trying to draw the walk. I don't know, but like, Ooh, man, uh, two clips in a row, same exact thing, uh, late swing. So, uh, you're right on with that, that that's a perfect example of, um, of a guy that, needs to be much more aggressive. Um, let's move on to another catcher. Um, well, before we get to another catcher, Dalton rushing, what, uh, what's your, what's your overall projection player rating right now? Um, uh, uh, potential player rating. What, what would you throw on? Oh, golly. That, that's a tough one. I, I would throw him on with an eight, uh, maybe a, Most a definitely. B, yeah. Eight B or eight C. Uh, I yeah. think here's, here's where, <laughs> organization comes into play. I mean, the Dodgers are extraordinary at developing talent. Um, so I, with that, I'd probably go with a B. Um, yeah. Again, the here. reports are positive about his defense and he's going to at least be an average catcher with a strong arm, athletic ability. Um, Dodgers have developed some really good catchers with that similar type of style. So I, I wouldn't, be opposed to an 8b i think you could argue 8c i i wouldn't go nine though i i just don't see it if he started yeah. to hit your average you know from a fantasy perspective because you have batting average obp some power hey uh can't go wrong there but yeah 8b or 8c mm -hmm. i would say and and uh for our listeners that's a solid uh regular um with a 70 percent um probability so uh and i i'm right there with that too um just just watching him he is a little old for the league but still like uh you know he's built for um he's he i he's built like a major league catcher already yeah right yeah now. he's so he's like, got a great 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 frame absolutely yeah yeah we just uh it would be nice if he hit for a little higher average uh Moving on uh, to a prospect, a first rounder in the 2022 draft uh, from the Oakland Athletics Organization, a former University of Arizona. And for the folks uh, at home, obviously, that's that's where my heart is. Uh, University of Arizona, bear down. We're going to beat Mississippi State this week uh, in football. Uh, but the uh, gentleman that you are 
uh, covering is Daniel Susak, uh, which is a six foot four, two hundred eighteen pound catcher, bigger frame catcher, uh, who's uh, you've seen at Lansing, correct? Yep, yep. So I'm in Lansing. Really, uh, really liked him. He really stood out to me. Uh, he, he didn't catch uh, at least the most recently, most recent time I saw him was that was a designated hitter, but. Yeah, a really tall frame. He could actually stand to gain a little bit of weight. He doesn't look as sturdy as uh, rushing does, but he's got great height, very long arms, and a, a beautiful swing from the right side. I, I was really impressed with him. Liked him a lot. I, I, I never have really felt comfortable with my evaluations of him defensively. Um, just based off some video and some, some other, um, other looks that I've gotten, uh, other contact looks, uh, again, it, it's very hard to scout catching when, when we're, when I'm scouting catch, I'll tell you real quick, just, I, I hate to do this when I have a guest on, but I think it's a really good, good time to talk about it. Uh, what I look for when I'm scouting catching is number one, there. You know, like you said, whether they show up behind home plate, whether you notice them. Uh, number two, uh, I try to get a side look for about an inning of uh, from each side. One, you know, if I'm working a three game series or something like that, uh, I'll try to do one game where I'm on the right side, uh, the first base side, and then one time, one time on the third base side. See how easily they move their glove. How how flexible. I, I I've never thought that you can really scout catching from behind home plate uh, completely. Uh, the one thing I do find uh, scouting behind home plate is uh, a catcher's comfort within their catching crouch. Um, uh, and and that was something that was pointed out to me by my mentor actually, who was a collegiate catcher um, before he got into scouting, and and then also uh, one of the scouts that I worked with. A lot of guys, especially big guys like Suzik, are not comfortable back there. Like, it's not a natural thing. Uh, folks can remember Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza um, uh, would go to one knee a lot of times between uh, between pitches sometimes, uh, you know, after he threw the ball back and stuff. Like, uh, bigger guys have, have a harder time being comfortable compared to a guy like Dalton Rushing, who's a more compact, sturdy um, you know, spark plug strength looking guy, as opposed to this tall, leaner uh, catcher. Um, and I've noticed this year that he's caught about two thirds of the games that he's appeared in. He's been a DH a, another third of the time. So let's assume, you know, obviously you didn't get to see him as a catcher. You got to see him at DH. Uh, does would the bat be able to um, carry to another position, whether it's this designated hitter or to first base? Yeah, I, I do, and I have I have seen him behind the plate, but again, I it was tough to really gauge um, yeah. his value back there. But as a hitter, yeah, I think this is where again in person looks versus just scouting a stat line are, are two different things. He he doesn't. I think he's got six or seven home runs this year. But if you yeah. look at his swing, in one of the games, he just smoked one uh, to left center. And I don't, I mean, that ball just, I don't know if it landed it. He hit it that well. Um, so that was one of his home runs. But it, it's a really clean swing. He uses the whole field. I, 
I could see him being, you know, like a 280 uh, plus hitter, uh, eventually getting to 20 home runs. Uh, I think he's got enough athleticism to, to steal a couple of bags. And I think he's got a good approach. Uh, I, I, I don't see superstar here. I don't see all-star catcher. Mm-hmm. But he's got enough. I, I mean, Oakland's got, you know, Tyler Soderstrom, who I've seen plenty of times, and now he's up with the big league club. Not similar players. You know, one's a lefty. You know, Soderstrom's a lefty. Susek's a, a, a righty. You've got different body styles. Soderstrom's more of a natural hitter. But again, you know, whether they both stay behind the plate, who knows? But I think Susak has the ability to play first. I don't, I, I don't, I've never heard of him maybe going to third or trying the outfield. But with that frame uh, that he's got, I think first base would make sense. Um, yeah. DH, I, I think he would see a little bit more power. Um, but again, I think he'll get to 20 home runs eventually. And and they also have Lang Lears there too. I know that he struggled his rookie year uh, so far. Well, his second year in the league uh, has struggled with the with batting average and on base percentage. But a very solid catcher behind home plate. Probably the better of the three guys uh, defensively. Uh, only twenty five. Uh, I mean, uh, the Athletics will probably trade him this offseason, uh, knowing how they are. Um, uh, but like the, for whatever reason, the athletics decided to collect catching, uh, you know, Sean Murphy and a few other guys. I know that they moved Murphy for Langliers, but like it's it's been it's a weird. Well, they didn't move him for Langliers. They uh, the they moved Langliers. So that was the Matt Olson trade. Sorry. Um, but at one time they had all four of these guys in their organization, all these guys that are were cost controlled uh, guys, uh, catchers like. They uh, they apparently have an eye for catching and um, you know are collecting them. Uh, here, back on the spot again, player uh, potent- potential rating for Susak. Uh, I'd say a solid eight C. Okay. Um, I could potentially maybe go seven B. I think it just again that power. Uh, how it's going to materialize. I think that's going to be the big question for him, mm-hmm. but I think he's going to hit 280 plus. I really do. And, and the difference for our, our listeners, the difference between an eight, uh, which is a solid uh, regular and a seven, which is an average regular. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think, you know, you can't go wrong on either of them. I think what you're looking at here is uh, he's a eight C uh, if you believe that the power will come to about a 20 home run guy as, as a catcher sticking behind home plate, I think the 7B is okay. There might be some question marks getting up to that 20 home runs, and then he might be a first baseman. That's just you know those numbers are just average. That's not a that's not a overwhelming guy at uh, at the position. So like I, I think either of those grades are right on. Uh, for a player of this good, this caliber, uh, I think. Oh man, this is this is going to be the good one here. I know that you got a very brief look at this catching prospect, but he's been the talk of baseball uh, of the minor leagues at least, and that is Ethan Solace, the catching prospect who just recently got um, uh, promoted by the um, Padres organization. All the way up to Double A, uh, he only spent nine games in the in the Midwest League at, with Fort Wayne, and 
Jeremy was fortunate enough to see him, even though it wasn't the best look. And I'll be honest, he hasn't had a really good time in double A. I, uh, I guess the Padres are just being Padres. I, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, this is a 17-year-old kid. What, do, what did you see in your look uh, with the left-handed hitting Salas? Yeah, I got to say, I, I just kind of lucked into it. We had bought the tickets actually for my uh, father for Father's Day. It was a belated Father's Day gift. So I took my dad and my two sons to the game. Just so happened that uh, Salas was, was playing uh, in Lansing that day for Fort Wayne. And we were all excited about it. It reminds me of when uh, Delman Young, if you can, we can all remember him, when uh, he was yes. in the minors. And it was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to see, you know, you see the autograph uh, seekers, you know, just. There were more people at, I mean, just with their big books of baseball cards and memorabilia waiting for him to, to come out and sign. But, um, you know, as I said before, evaluating catching from a defensive standpoint is difficult for me unless someone stands out um, really good or really bad. And most people are somewhere in the middle. Uh, again, he's 17 years old, and I think that's the best thing that he's got going for him. <laughs> Um, I mean, golly, I mean, when I was 17, gosh, um, I mean, he's, he's done for the year now, by the way, he's, he's out wow. of, uh, with knee with knee issues. So he's done for the year. Nothing well, thanks for that. I, I've been unplugged. So like, I, I had no, no clue whatsoever. Yeah. So, uh, I look like a really good host right now, not having any clue on whether, uh, <laughs> The one of the top prospects in baseball uh, is hurt or not. So, but that's good. It gets to rest a little and hopefully get that knee um, um, taken care of. Um, yeah. So, uh, go on. <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't look like he's 17 years old though. Uh, facially, body wise, he's got a really athletic frame. Uh, six two, maybe 180, 185. Uh, um, athletic build. Um, again, he doesn't look like he's 17. Uh, he's got a lot of room to grow. Um, but again, if, if he was 21, 22 years old, I, I think we would all think of him differently, right? I mean, 17 year olds, they're either pl still playing high school or maybe they're a young college kid or in the, in the complex leagues. Uh, he's already been up to double A. I don't think he really was worthy of a promotion to double A, much less high A, but for him to hold his own, I think speaks volume. So, I mean, again, limited look one game, uh, was not, <laughs> was far from, uh, impressive. He went over four. He struck out a couple times when he did make contact. It was very, very weak, even foul balls. Um, he had trouble behind the plate, just catching the ball. Um, just routine fastballs just kept popping out of his mitt. And so it was like, I, I don't know, my dad, who's, not what I would call an astute observer. Uh, he's a baseball fan, but he, he doesn't really watch the uh, the nuances like you know, people like you and me do. Um, but he was like, "Ooh, who is this guy?" <laughs> so, but I'm not gonna write him off. Clearly, I mean, he's 17 years old and he's got that athletic build, and every single scouting report is just full of positive accolades. So, I who am I to say that everyone is wrong because of that one game that I saw. Um, but again, you can just tell when people's natural actions, kind of like when you watch uh, a basketball player where they have, have those smooth athletic, um, you know, moves, they just move really, really well. 
uh, he just carries himself well. He does not look like he's 17 years old, though. And I'm not saying he's not 17. Um, but it, it was, I was ecstatic to see him. And I feel really good about seeing him because at least I think I can back up some of the things that I've read, uh, but also keep an eye on him in the future. I'd be really interested to see where the Padres place him to begin 2024. Are they going to put him back in low A, high A, double A? I mean, you could make the case for any sort of level, but for a 17 year old to make it to double A, holy cow, yeah. that's incredible. I think it makes sense to, to put him in uh, high A again, uh, let him dominate that level. Uh, I mean, there was obvious reasons why they did that, I believe. Um, I believe they were, you know, trying to get the best talent in that double-A uh, um, double team in San Antonio. Um, there, Salas is also a Bloodlines guy, and, uh, you know, being a Twins uh, fan as you are and having their coverage, uh, uh, his brother has not done well this year, Jose Salas. Uh, Kind of hit on uh, hit some rough times uh, since coming over to the Minnesota organization. Um, oh man, 190, 190 average in high A this year. That's 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 not good. Uh, he's a guy that I you know I touted for a while when he was in the Marlins organization. But enough about him. Uh, uh, but his brother's twenty. He's he's seventeen, just barely seventeen. Ethan Salas. Uh, Started this year 16 and full year of uh, full season ball, which we uh, we never see that sort of thing. Um, here's a question for you um, before we get to our sponsor. Um, these guys getting um, accelerated up um, through these organizations at such a young age, whether it's Jackson Chorio as a 19-year-old in AA, Ethan Salas as a 17-year-old in AA, or, or somebody like... Um, um, Oh God! Why my um, the the Camanero, uh Junior Camanero of the Rays, uh, getting up to Double A by nineteen? Uh, do you feel like this is a product of the prospect crop right now, or is it a product of teams pushing these guys because they need uh, they need to justify their investments uh, much quicker than they normally used to have to do when when the when the league was six minor league squads and not just four? I, that's a great question. I, I'd be curious to hear from San Diego what, what their intent is with the aggressive promotions of them. I, I think it's a great thing so long as the player has the emotional maturity to be able to handle failure. And I think as a catcher, for him to get exposure to the different types of pitchers within the organization from the older folks and in, in not that double a pitchers are older but they're older than the low a folks and i think for him to get exposure to that i think is a wonderful thing you hear from any sport one of the biggest adjustment periods is the speed of the game i don't care whether you're playing soccer basketball football baseball the speed of the game is different when you when you advance to higher levels and i think it's good for or Salas and other people of that age to to be aggressively promoted. But again, so long as they have that emotional maturity to be able to handle failure, you know, Salas, I hope that he didn't expect to hit 300 in double A. It's a really hard <laughs> level for, for a 22 year old, much less a 17 year old. He could be there five years from now and still be fairly young for the level. So 
he seems to have that maturity and kudos to San Diego for pushing that. I, I don't have any issue with it at all. I think it's a good thing. Uh, they have a pitcher on their staff right now that is 14 years older than he is. Daniel uh, Camarena uh, is is uh, the uh, former major league pitcher. He's appeared in six games in his uh, major league career. Uh, so a 30 year old right now. So so 13 year difference. Uh, uh, soon to be 14 year difference because of uh, uh, Camarena's uh, birthday. But like. I, I mean, sending a 17-year-old to catch that guy. Like, this guy's about to turn 31, and here comes the catcher telling him, hey, you know, uh, throw this pitch right now. Uh, you know, what what does that 17-year-old know um, about well, you look the at game the more than Daniel Camarena? Well, San Diego aggressively promotes their prospects. If you go up and down their prospect list, you got – Snelling, he uh, you know left-handed pitcher. He's in Double A. He's not even twenty yet. Dylan Lesko, he's at Fort Wayne in, in High A ball, Midwest League. He's not even twenty yet. Zavala is in High A. He's not even twenty. They like to push their prospects, and I know it's towards the end of the season where it's okay to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But they, I mean, look what they did with Tatis. They, they liked to push their guys along, and and I mean. They've got a, a lot of good young players in that in that system. Well, let's check in with PD to see what he's got cooking on this week's episode of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, Eyes Have It listeners. Patrick David here from the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. This week's pod should be right up your alley. It's another great Friday full edition featuring an expert interview with Eric Longenhagen, the lead prospect analyst at Fangraphs, discussing how to figure out which organizations improved between the draft and the deadline, why teams are pushing young prospects aggressively, which prospects might and might not be called up in September, and how they might fare, and he'll have his boons and banes among the prospects for 2024. Plus, we'll have all the usual great stuff, news analysis with Ray Murphy from BaseballHQ.com, and our Baseball HQ commentaries. That's Eric Longenhagen, available now on this week's Friday full edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. And I hope you'll join us. Thank you, Patrick. Listeners are getting a double dose of prospect talk with Eric Longenhagen from Fangraphs. Uh, Eric and I uh, have done the prospect Q&A together for several years at First Pitch Arizona. Last year, uh, we were joined by Jeff Ponce of Baseball America. Don't know who we're going to be joined with this year. In the past, I've been with uh, Emily uh, Waldron of uh, Athletic. Uh, I think she's now just exclusively at Baseball America. And then also uh, been joined by Jim Callis uh, from MLB Pipeline. So, it's always a good Q&A, always a great time uh, with Eric and whoever else is uh, with us. So if you're attending uh, First Pitch Arizona this year, check it out. Uh, also, a good reminder that uh, prices go up uh, Friday uh, for registration. Um, check out Baseball HQ website. Again, First Pitch Arizona, November 2nd through 5th at the Sheridan Mesa Wrigleyville, which is right next to Sloan Park, home of the Mesa Solar Sox of the Arizona Fall League and this year's Fall Star Game. 
It's a great weekend packed full of fantasy baseball seminars, scouting, if you like that sort of thing, and socializing with some of the most recognizable fantasy baseball personalities from a variety of websites. Uh, anyway, registration information is available at baseballhq.com. Sign up today. Uh, one of these years, Jeremy, you're going to have to get it out there. I've not yet met you. Well, I, I toil in the land of anonymity, uh, even though Rob and I live in the same state. I've never met him. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not afraid of many things, but flying is one of those. So it would be tough to get me out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not a drinker either. So, um, you know, some people get lit up before they get on a plane i eh. we'll see i would love to go because it sounds like an absolute blast i mean you list many of the names there and uh boy it'd be nice to be able to just chat baseball with uh people like that that uh, i mean even talking with you talking with anybody at, at hq is phenomenal but have just the industry there like it is um i'm gonna have to find a way to get up maybe i'll drive Registration information is available at website, baseballhq.com. You know where that is. Uh, we're going to run through five guys fairly quickly here. First guy, uh, Dodgers prospect, left-handed pitcher. Uh, listeners will remember when we had Reese uh, White from Prospects Live on. Uh, he had had a live look at Maddox Bruins. Uh, uh, tell us what you saw in your look Uh Jeremy, uh, you got to see him in high A as opposed to Reese, who got to see him in low A. Yeah, he, he had a fantastic start to the year in low A, got to Great Lakes in Midland, Michigan in June. Hasn't been nearly the same. And I think he, he's one of those uh, prospects that uh, a perusal of the stat line says exactly what it looks like in person. He's got great stuff. Really good fastball, two breaking balls, so-so eh, changeup. He can miss bats. He sequences fairly well uh, for a young pitcher, but he can't throw strikes. It's always the, you know, when you hear a scouting report, like he's got this, he's got this, he's got this, comma, but, yeah, he, he just, he struggles to throw consistent strikes. He looks fantastic for one batter than the next batter. He struggles to locate even his fastball, but he's got everything that you would want in a mid-rotation starter except for the control. Um, I think it's way too early to, to write him off as a starter. I'd, I'd still like to see him uh, tried as a starter. Uh, he's got just as much talent really as anybody who I've seen at that level in the Dodgers, and we all know they've had a deep, deep uh System of pitching prospects, and I think he's good as any of them. He's got the body, he's got the pitch mix. Again, he's just got to find consistent mechanics, consistent arm angle, and a consistent release point. I think he'll be fine. But I, I see him as a solid number three starter. Potential, good strikeout ability. Fifty-nine percent fastball strike rates, uh, and it's the lowest of his major pitches. Like he throws a uh, slider. Uh, somewhere between 60 and 65 percent time for a strike, and his changeup is is around the same percentage. Like it, it's it's boggling how, like if that fastball uh, strike rate was at 67 percent, or even at 65 percent, I think that our long term projection of him would be uh, uh, 
clear, wouldn't you think? Without question, absolutely. Uh, and here, here's here's some some other stats to kind of back up uh, how effective his other his secondaries are. Uh, uh, his changeup, for example, um, uh, the swing and miss rate is one of the highest changeup swing and miss rates I've I've ever seen. Uh, looking at uh, these stats, it's over fifty percent of the pitches that are offered are swung through, and the slider is a very high rate too, just under fifty percent uh, swing and miss rate when guys swing at those pitches. So, like, it's obvious this guy has uh, superior stuff. Um, it, it's a matter of him throwing strikes. I think you're right on with that. Uh, real quick, potential player rating. Of uh, 8D. Perfect, man. Uh, so 30% chance of a solid outcome. Uh, and we're, by the way, listeners, we're doing this so we, you guys get more. Uh, uh, more used to our rating system, which was developed by Derek uh, McRamey, who uh, uh, Jeremy and Rob both took over um, the prospect coverage from at our site. Uh, he's now a, a pro scout. Uh, so, like, it, it's a system that I think really works well for us. Wouldn't you agree, Jeremy? I do. I, I think, again, it's you can critique it, uh, but... But I'd put it up with any other type of rating system because we, we try to identify, hey, what's the upside and what's the likelihood of someone getting to that? I know you could make the argument, hey, is 8D, is that similar to a 7B? And yeah, you could make that argument. You've got to establish a ranking or rating system somehow. But I think the the important thing that I like to focus on is the the, the qualitative piece. You know, what does the analysis look like? What yeah. what does the quantitative analysis look like? We, we put a lot of focus on rankings and ratings and i think that's perfectly fine that's what our subscribers want and quite frankly that's what i like too but i think there's that qualitative assessment that is just as important as just slapping on and sometimes it seems like an arbitrary figure i mean when we do the call-up reports uh, which i've done for many 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 years and have enjoyed doing it a lot of times you get that just very plain vanilla prospect and we like to put a 6c hey they at least got to the majors but they're probably not going to stay here um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, but I, I think our ranking system I, I yeah. really like. I thought Derek put that together really, really well. Yeah, he did. He did a great job. Uh, someone I've never talked to or um, um, seen, spoken to, but I've, I've heard nothing but great things about him. So uh, moving on, next prospect, Chris Duell, outfield prospect for the Dodgers, a guy that I don't know much about. Uh, tell us about uh, Chris Duell. Yeah, good, good, good prospect. Uh, again, I think sometimes we get lost in. And upside guys, guys that, oh, these guys are future Hall of Famers or future All-Stars. I mean, well, likely won't be that, but he's a solid player overall. I, I don't think that he's necessarily got a plus tool in his toolbox, but he also doesn't have uh, a negative one either. He does everything well. Uh, nice swing, good raw power. It's a lot of line drives. He runs well. Um, I good defender he can hit left-handed pitching uh, again the organization that he's in I, maybe if he's in a different organization maybe i don't think of him as highly but he's he i think he was like a 13th round pick last year out of virginia he was yes he comes from a big school but again he doesn't stand out you've got to see him multiple times 
And again, the stat line is, is, is good, uh, but his overall game is good. He doesn't do anything poorly. Um, again, if we're looking at ranking uh, or ratings, I'd say probably like a good solid 7C. Again, look at James Outman, who was in the Dodgers organization, never really considered a top, top prospect, but look mm-hmm. at him now. He's a good player. Not a great player, but he's a good player. Yeah, solid, new solid guy, solid hand. Uh, and that sometimes, sometimes that is the outcome that happens. And and it, it's still a win. Um, and I think that the next guy kind of falls into the same little um, same little place too, maybe a little more acclaimed prospect. Uh, uh, and that's Colby Thomas, uh, who is the third rounder in the 2022 draft out of Mercer. Uh, from my backyard, um, but not necessarily. Valdosta High School was about five hours away, four, four and a half hours away from, from where I am in, in Georgia. But I did get to see Colby Thomas one time in a in a collegiate showcase or a high school showcase door uh before the 29 well no actually yeah before the 2019 season uh so i have a little familiarity with him you got to see him uh with lansing what, what's your thoughts on uh colby thomas yeah good player similar to newell i mean they're not similar players in the respect their body types are different um you know newell's a lefty thomas swings from the right side but thomas i think what i like about him is he's a line drive hitter but yet he is selective enough and knows his swing enough that he knows which pitches to turn on. Uh, he hits a ton of doubles. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a 20 home run guy. If he hits his peak, he runs quite well, but he's a good instinctual base runner as well. So he's got good tools. Um, I, I'm not certain he's going to hit for a very, very high average. Um, but again, I think if he can hit 250, 260 and hit 15 home yeah. runs, to doubles, um, again, a good value guy to have um, as a potential everyday player. Good player. I, I liked him. Uh, this is a high floor, yeah, a high floor guy that um, the Oakland Athletics have done well with in the past. Uh, not in the most recent past. It's like they've kind of gone back and, and you kind of see it with some of the prospects that they've. They've uh, cornered like Daniel Susick, uh, that are high floor guys with a hit tool, uh, and I mean that kind of explains Thomas uh, very quickly. Uh, player potential rating seven D, maybe seven C. I think it depends on uh, how I feel on that day. <laughs> and that's how a lot of this is, uh, you know, for our listeners. Is you know, you catch us on a good day. I, I. I am developing a uh, a presentation for appraisers that is going to kind of cover really a lot of the things that we talk about on this podcast, baseball-wise and stuff, about uh, trying to stay as consistent as possible from day to day because your feelings might change uh, from day to day, uh, uh, especially like this is one look at t- in time. You know, no matter if you got five looks at a guy – during a series or just one look at a guy during a series, it's really just a, a snapshot in time. Yep. Uh, so, and, and, you know, while that doesn't sound like a huge difference to the listener, uh, a seven C and a seven D it, it is a huge difference to us um, because we're trying to nail down that probability. So y'all, the listeners and, and our readers can get to, uh, 
be able to make the right informed decision on rostering a guy like uh, Colby Thomas or Chris Newell. Um, do you agree with that? That that's kind of where where that all lies, right? I, I do, and it's also just again that development of that one tool. If if a guy like Thomas, if he ends up hitting 20 home runs or steals 20 bases, then I mean, obviously we could have adjusted his rating, uh, you know, a little bit higher. But if just one of those categories takes off, who knows? Uh, again, there's a lot of potential in him. The next guy is a guy from your neck of the woods, um, sort of your neck of the woods, Central Michigan University. Um, a six-round pick in the 2022 draft by the San Diego Padres. Jacob Marcy, left-handed hitter, outfielder. Uh, what did you see uh, with Marcy? Or Marseille? Yeah. I don't know exactly how they pronounce that. Yeah, Marcy. He's, a, uh, again, a, a similar to, to Bruins with the stat line. We'll tell you really what it's like to see him in person. He's a he's a leadoff guy, draws a ton of walks, doesn't swing at bad pitches. Um, swing mechanics, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, I'm not certain he's going to hit for a high average at any level, but he's going to get on base a lot. I know the book out of him in college was that he, he wasn't a power hitter. He wasn't going to hit for much power. Um, he's got 15 or so this year. I, I'm not sure, wow. where that came, not sure where that came from because because it doesn't really have a swing conducive to it, but he's a he's a just a good baseball player. And again, I think you can go back through the history of Major League Baseball and find guys similar to him that they don't stand out on this from a scouting report perspective. But he knows how to play the game. I expect him to to play in the majors someday. I don't know if he's going to be a uh, an everyday guy because I don't think he's going to be able to hit enough, and I don't think the power is going to last. But he's a good center fielder. He's an instinctual guy, uh, just a good leadoff hitter. So, uh, I mean, I think he's got over 40 stolen bases this year, too. But, again, he's not a burner. He's an instinctual, smart base runner. So, um, uh, a guy to keep an eye on, definitely. Yeah. 45 steals, 45 steals, 96 walks to 94 strikeouts. I, I think you nailed this one, man. Yeah. Good player. Not sure what's I would. Your, what's uh, your What's your that. rating on that? What's your rating on that? Uh, this is always a tough one for me because uh, I think oftentimes power dictates ultimately what someone's rating could potentially be. I think he's got a very high floor. Um, again, this could be one of those examples where maybe he's a seven B, but he's not necessarily as good of a prospect as Colby Thomas, who I would think is a 7C or 7D, just because a 7 might be a little bit higher for him. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one. But again, I don't want to label him as a fourth outfielder because I think he could be better than that. So I think he's, he should be a 7 as opposed to a 6. I'm just not certain he's going to hit for enough of an average or hit for enough power to really be relevant in fantasy other than on-base percentage and run scored and stolen bases which is still valuable, but yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Our final guy is also from the Padres organization, Nathan Martorella. Uh, the, I guess he's an outfielder now. I know in college he played uh, some first base. Uh was his fifth-round pick in the 2022 draft from Cal Berkeley. Uh, what did you see with uh, Martorella? Yeah, he's he's. I know he split time between first and outfield. I'm not 
certain how he could survive in the outfield. Oh. He's, he's still he's still a first he's, baseman. I'm sorry, I, I read that wrong. Well, he he plays both. Both, he, yeah. He plays both. Um, a good hitter. I, I like him. Um, he's got kind of a funky stance at the plate from the from the left side, but, but I could see this guy hitting for a ton of power. He's a he's a he's a power and OBP guy. Uh, I don't see him hitting for a high average. Um, Again, he's not Rowdy Tellez. Uh, he's not as big or tall or as stout, but he's got a, a similar type of style to him. So he's going to give you some pop, uh, hitting the middle of the lineup, big and strong. He's actually now in double A. Um, but again, OBP, he gets on base. He's very selective in a good way, and he hits for a lot of power. So I, I think he's a, he's, a, he's a solid player. I think he's got a good chance for the Padres. Just he's not a sexy. He doesn't have that sexy athletic profile, though. No speed. Yeah. Well. Well, what would you have for your uh, rating with him? I I would give him a solid seven C. I think the Padres have a lot of those types of guys, as we've just talked about. Yeah. With Marcy and uh, Thomas and Martorella, so I I I think a seven C is definitely. but again, for him to play first base at the big league level, he's going to have to hit for power because I just I can't see him patrolling a major league outfield. I got just watching him very very briefly here. I, I'm getting some Justin Bohr um, vibes, Ooh, uh, a prospect yeah. that I saw a bunch uh, who had a a, you know, a little success in the major leagues, but got kind of got found out um, uh, fairly quickly. But had a few years where. He was at least contributing average uh, uh, production out of first base. Um, uh, All right. Well, um, I think that's a great look at eight prospects uh, from the uh, Midwest League. Uh, Jeremy, we always ask folks, and and this is always a hard one, especially at the end of the year. Um, uh, We have a segment called What's on Tap. do you have any games uh, that you'd like to still go to? I know that the season wears down, I think, in high A this weekend, correct? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm I'm done for the year visiting uh, different right. games. So I'll be, uh, I guess, my uh, watching on uh, my laptop. So I won't be <laughs> in person, but doing some laptop scouting and watching and getting ready for additional columns for HQ and working on the minor league baseball analysts. So, yeah, a little bit late in the season now with the college football starting and uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, no more in-person for me. Oh, well, that that stinks. I have I have at least a week, maybe a little longer than a week left. Um, uh, what I have on tap this week, I, I was kind of like, I don't know if I was going to go out, but I think something's lining up for me tomorrow. Um Possibly, and that is a look at um, Braves prospect first rounder from last year, Owen Murphy. Uh, he either pitches tomorrow or Friday, so that's probably it, it's yeah, it's probably going to be my um, my swan song in high A uh, facing an Asheville team that's not really that prospect laden right now. That's Houston Astros. Uh, uh, high A. And then uh, next week I get to see uh, every White Sox prospect and recent double uh, A call up Chase Petty uh, in the Reds organization. So I still got some ball left. It's just going to 
it's going to be a, a a very sudden transition to the off season for me. Nice, yeah, Chase and, Petty. Yeah, Chase Petty. Good, good final week look. Uh, I'm I'm excited for that one. Um, well, Jeremy, thank you for joining us, uh, joining me on this week's episode of the Eyes Have a Podcast. Um, always great to have you, Brent Hershey. Will be back next week for his final appearance on the podcast. We only have two shows going, uh, two shows left uh, for the year after this. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com. Reach out to me on X, the app formerly known as Twitter. I'm at C underscore blessing. If you're a first time listener to the eyes have a podcast, click subscribe to get our future episodes and rank us while you're there uh, and spread the word about us too. May everyone have a great week again, Jeremy. Thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great week as well. Thank you. Thanks for the time.